want to type uh, on your uh, on your keyboard there, you can type amen, or you can type preach it, or you can type man, that's good. You can still engage yourself in it, and you don't have to just sit back. If you feel like praying in the middle of it, then pray whatever you want to do. We just want to minister for a few moments tonight. Philippians chapter 4, 9 through 19 is my topic, and I'm going to begin uh, at verse 11, 12, 13, and then I'm going to hit verse 19, and we'll jump right into it. Uh, verse 11 says in Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Go ahead and type amen right now on your computer boards. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I want to take a moment tonight and I want to talk about the key to contentment. And I will close with that revelation that the Lord has given to me. And I hope it's a blessing to all of you at Life Church. Because the church here is so young and in need of great revelation and instruction, he often writes letters to these churches, Paul does, in an effort to communicate whatever inspiration God has given them. This happens to be the end of Paul's letter to the Philippian church. And the things which you learn in verse 9 is what it says, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul explains here in verse 9 that whatever you have learned from me, Paul speaking of his own ministry, or if you've seen me do it, he tells this church to do what you've seen me do. Copy me. Copy my ministry. He says your peace is hinging on your ability to follow my lead. And in times of uncertainty, we have to lean on strong men of God like Pastor Gandhi and we have to trust their leadership in times of difficulty. When you don't know what to do, you do what a man of God shows you you can trust and you can do because he knows what's best. So he literally raises the standard of Christian living. Watch this. You don't get to live a different Christian life than I do. I know for many years and for generations we have taught and we have believed that there is a massive gap between the pulpit and the pew. But Paul is teaching here that that you've got to live on the same level as me when it comes to victory and when it comes to faith. If you've seen me do it, you ought to live like me and do what I do. You may not stay single like me. Of course, Paul was single. So you might not stay single like Paul. You might not travel the world like Paul, but he's expecting us to believe what he believes and to live in principle like he lives in principle. In fact, he adds that your God peace is hinging on it. You see, you can't have peace with God while ignoring your spiritual leader's teaching and advice. It will constantly irritate your spirit to live a life contrary to God's word and to God's teaching. So that's how he introduces this topic. And then verse 10 says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lack the opportunity. Apparently, the Philippians 
the Philippians sent some type of provision to Paul, which it would make logical sense and that Paul was traveling around the world and he had no income or way of making ends meet. Paul stated that they eventually sent help, but there was some delay due to a lack of opportunity. He goes on to explain more in verses 14 through 19. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress, and now you Philippians know also that the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, that no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. I want to go to verse 17 through 19 now and finish the context of what he's talking about. Not that I seek the gift. I'm not seeking something from you as church members, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. A man that's about to break out a revelation that I can make it with nothing is saying that when you help the ministry, it's good for you, not for me. And you're going to see in a moment why, because he does not trust in people to supply his needs. He trusts in the Lord. But he says that when you join with me to take care of my necessities and you take care of me, that you are the one that's blessed for doing it. All of this is going to lead up to a big point, but he's just explaining some things so far. So in verse 18, he says, indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Ephroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Therefore, uh, let me explain it like this. That means that when they gave to him as a minister, the Lord took it as a sacrifice, a sweet smell of worship. Verse 19 says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So by helping support Paul in his ministry endeavors, uh, he flips it back on the church and says, thank you for doing that because God shall supply all of your needs now. Now he flips it over to them and says, I know you might be wondering if it was worth it to support me, but it is because when you support me, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory of Christ Jesus. Let me summarize it all. Paul is thanking them for the financial support and it leads him into a powerful revelation that I felt for us today. In verse 11, this is the key. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now, sometimes I, I would title this message separation of church and state, but I don't want anybody to take that statement too far, even though pretty soon now we might have to talk about that topic more. That's not what I'm talking about tonight. I'm talking about the separation of the church and the state that we are in, the conditions of our surroundings and our life. Paul said, I have learned not to put all my joy and my hope and my faith in my environment. I have learned to put it in the Lord. I can be okay when everything around me is wrong. I can be fine. So notice how he clarifies. While I'm thankful for the help, I will be okay if you don't help me. That's what he's saying here. I'm glad you're in part of the blessing. I'm glad God can now bless you for helping me. But if you didn't give it to me, I would be okay. Paul has the revelation. I have figured something out. No matter the condition of my environment and my surroundings, I can be content. I can be okay. In other words, there should be a separation 
between the church people, between the saints of God and the state or the mood or the emotional environment. The state should not dictate our mood and our response. Now, he just finished telling them to be like him and learn from what he has learned. And the last thing he mentions is his learning before closing out the letter in this. I've learned to be free of my environment. And I know that right now we're all dealing with our environment changing. We're dealing with a crazy society. We don't know what's going to happen. Our our mood right now is on the hinge of the world system of finances, on the collapse of all these things around us. Uh, but we've got to remind ourselves today that we can be content in the middle of all of this. We are the church. We're the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, we should be able to look at all of this and have peace uh, and have hope and have joy. We've got to learn from Paul that we can deal with this because we are the church. Somebody type amen. In 2 Corinthians 11, in the New Living Translation, Paul tells the Corinthians in verse 23, I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder. I've been put in prison more often. I've been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas, and I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and I've often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep warm. But this same Apostle Paul then tells the Romans in 8 verses 35, 37 through 39, who shall separate Separate us from the love of Christ. Uh, shall tribulation or distress or persecution, of famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? Then he answers his own question in verse 37. He says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Uh, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, uh, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul understood that no matter what is happening around me, it can't take away what has happened inside of me. The world did not give this to us, and the world cannot take this away from us. If you want to know the reason why that we are singing the songs about freedom and we're going through all kinds of storms and trials because a real Christian should have peace in the storm and joy in the drama. Light and darkness and satisfaction should be guaranteed. We refuse to take our cues from our conditions surrounding us. We can be surrounded by lions like Daniel and we can live. We can be outnumbered by enemies like Samson and we can win. We can even be surrounded by death like Jesus and be resurrected. You can walk into your broken home with faithless family members all around you and when you walk in the door, hope walks in the door and peace walks in the door and joy walks in that door. Wisdom walks in that door. Power walks in that door. Authority walks in that door. Life walks in that door because all of those things are inside of real Christians. In verse 12, 
He says, I know how to be abased. That means low. I know how to be low. And then he says, I know how to abound. I know how to be high. And everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul didn't just say that I've learned how to keep my faith when I have very little. In fact, he goes on to say, I learned how to keep my faith when I have a whole lot. Some are worried about losing, but Paul said, I had to learn how to handle gaining. I know right now everybody's thinking about Jesus because we're losing a whole lot, but you know what's actually scarier than the coronavirus is all the blessings sometimes in our life. What's really scary is that some of us are more prayerful now than when we didn't have the coronavirus. See, some people can't handle blessing. Some people can't handle an earth with no problems. Some of us can't handle having nothing going wrong. And Paul said, I had to learn how to keep worshiping him when I had no problems, when I had no shipwrecks, when I had no issues. I have to keep my faith when I lose my car and also when I get a new car. I have to keep my faith when I lose my job, but also when I get a new job. I have to keep my faith when I lose my money, but also when I get more money. I have to keep my faith when I lose my friends, but also when I get a new friend. You can leave me, but I am not alone is the premise of this whole story. Paul said, I've learned that no matter if I'm losing or gaining, no matter what, I can be content. Let me close with a study that was done in 1978 uh, by Brickman Coates and Jenoff Bullman on lottery winners and paraplegics. The study found that lottery winners were only slightly happier after one year than those who had lost their legs that they had only been a little happier after one year of winning the lottery versus people who have gone one year of losing their legs. Scientists also study the effect of options, options on our ability to be happy. This is very important. This is the key of what I'm talking about. This is actually a scientific study backing up what the Apostle Paul and the Word of God teaches to prove it to us. They took a massive group of photography students to take incredible, incredible photos, and then they would make them narrow down their options to two of their favorites. And so this college class of photography students had to take a bunch of beautiful photos, their favorite photos, but they weren't allowed to keep all of them. In fact, they had to choose two, two of the best, two of their favorites out of the entire group, only two. After this, they broke them into two different categories, two different uh, categories in the class. One of the groups, one of half of the group, had to pick one of them, one of the two favorite photos, and keep the other to be mailed off right then to France to another college to keep. They would keep one, but they had to get rid of the other. So they had to pick their favorite from the last two, and it was a tough choice. But they made that choice, and they got rid of the other one, never to see it again. The second group was asked to do something different. They had to pick one to keep as their favorite, and the other would be kept in the class for two weeks. And in that two weeks, they could come back and switch the picture out if they felt like they had made a mistake and they wanted to get the other photo back. So let me explain. The first group had to pick one right then, and they could never get the other one back. It was over and done. And then the second group could have two weeks to make their mind up, two weeks of an option period to where they could change their mind. The study found that when asked if they were happy with their choice, that they had differing responses. Each group had a different response. The group that parted with their photo the same day 
was still happy with their choice several days later. But the group that had time to make up their mind, reportedly, they were not content with the original choice that they had made. The study concluded that options have the ability to rob us from our happiness. The human brain has the ability to learn contentment when your condition seems to become permanent. It's amazing how we have been built in with the ability to be happy with what we have when it's all we have. But when we have options, when we have other roads we can take, other exits, other people in our lives that we can run to, other churches we could go to, other people we could get married to. It's amazing how when we have options, we're never satisfied. We're never content. No wonder Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not with Christ, through Christ. Through Christ. With Christ suggests a partnership. Through Christ suggests a kingship. With Christ can be plural. You can have Christ and others with Christ, but through Christ must be singular. Paul said, I have learned that everything I need is found in the singularity of Jesus Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, the key to contentment is complete commitment. We were literally built for oneness. We were literally built for one God. We were literally built to worship and serve one God. We were literally built to have one spouse. There's only one way, only one faith, only one truth. You'll never be thankful and fulfilled until you learn that Jesus is enough. No matter what you are going through, there is no other option to bring happiness to your life. Jesus, listen to me, Jesus becomes enough as soon as he becomes the only one for you. Jesus becomes enough as soon as he becomes the only option in your life. As long as there's another way, another option, he's never going to be enough for you, for your family, and you'll never find the joy and the peace that you should have in Jesus through the storm that you're going through right now. Don't forget that my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by one singular Christ Jesus. As I close tonight, I want to thank you all for the chance to come bring this word to you, and I hope that it ministers to you all right now. I hope that you're all thinking right now, am I satisfied? Am I complete? Uh, am I thinking about my way out right now? Am I thinking about my other options right now? If Jesus is not your only option right now, I hope you hear me right now. If he's not your only option, he will not be enough for you. If you have not already made your mind up, then I'm going to be with Jesus no matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens with this virus, uh, then he will never be enough for you. The key to being content right now in your family, in your home, in your faith is to just make up your mind. Jesus is the only hope for me, the only way for me, and I will never back up on that. I will never give up on that. Jesus is the only option. 
I want you and your family right now to take a moment and gather around. I want you to pray for each other in Jesus' name that you would recommit right now your dedication. There is no greater time than right now for us to commit because we need Jesus now more than ever. We cannot look to other options. Stop looking to the doctors and the world and the government. It will never be enough for us. Only Jesus. He's not just our plan A or our plan B. He's our plan J. It's just plan Jesus. That's the only plan. There's no other way out of this. No other way through this. I've got to do everything that I do through Christ. I've learned to be content in Jesus. I've learned I can make it if I have Jesus. What's going to separate me? Nothing. I just want to put my commitments back in the Lord. If you really want to find joy serving the Lord, take every idol down. Take every option off the table. It's going to be Jesus only or nothing. I've given my whole heart to you, Jesus. You can lift your hands where you are. You can begin to pray where you are. If we're going to have online church, we're going to have to learn to pray after the preaching in our homes. We're going to have to learn to have moves of God in our living rooms. We're going to have to learn how to grab the family and lose track of time. You see, right now, there's no pastor watching you. Right now, there's no preacher hanging over you. It's just Jesus. But who better to give your heart to right now? Who better to lift your voice up? to right now? Who better for you to cry out to right now? Jesus is the only one that sees you and he's really the most important one that matters. And right now the Lord's watching the response of the homes of Life Church. He's watching the response of every member. He's asking the question, am I your only option still? Are you going to serve me when you can't gather around that church building? Am I only powerful to you? Am I only great to you when there's people watching and there's accountability? Lord, that's not who we are. We're a strong people. We're a faithful people, God. We want to show you right here, right now, in the car, in the living room, wherever we're watching, we want to show you that you are enough. We want to learn to be content in the storm, in the middle of this virus. We want to understand you are truly enough for us, for our families. I know dads are wondering how they're going to save their families, and moms are thinking about their kids, but you've got to get the whole family right now together and make the commitment. Lord, we are all in this thing. Lord, we are all yours. We're never going to turn, never going to find another way, Jesus. We are content knowing that you are number one and there is no number two. We give ourselves to you completely, Jesus. Right now, you feel the liberty where you are in your house. Feel the liberty right now to turn the lights down and take a few minutes and begin to pray and begin to seek the Lord. I know you know how. I know you know how to do it. I know you know how to have a breakthrough in your home right now. I want Pastor Gannon to hear reports later about how you prayed through and how somebody received the Holy Ghost again. I want Pastor Gannon to hear stories of how you began to get a breakthrough and someone got healed at your home and somebody got refreshing and somebody's tears rolled down their face. I want Pastor Gannon to hear reports of the revival happening all over this city. Imagine with me right now that every home in this church that is hearing this and praying right now that we are covering the city with our worship. We're covering the city with our prayers. You're not just on Barbie Drive right now. You're not just here right now, but you're covering this entire area with the prayers of Holy Ghost filled people. This is a mighty revival taking place while your eyes are closed in your homes I want to tell you what happened today over in Bastrop, Texas where I live I had a member of my church 
He texted me today and said, Pastor, do I have permission to baptize somebody in a river today who's hungry and desperate for God? And I said, absolutely, go baptize them. About an hour later, they sent me a video of a man in our church baptizing another man, a young man who just lost his father in the river in Jesus' name. The revival is happening all over our world. It's okay for us to get this thing out into our homes, out into the rivers, and begin to proclaim Jesus. Jesus. The church is not going down. We're going up. We will have revival in the middle of everything we're facing right now. Be encouraged, church. Jesus is enough. He supplies every need for us. He is our only option, our only way. And I thank you, God, for that great report. Uh, let it happen in this city. Let revival continue to burn through this city. God, we thank you for this great church and this great pastor and pastor's wife. Uh, and we thank you for the chance tonight uh, to be able to minister to this great congregation. I'm praying that every home is being blessed right now. In the name of Jesus, I feel the Holy Ghost working across this city right now. I feel the Holy Ghost moving in homes right now. I know I can't see through your video cameras, but I can feel that there's an anointing moving through people. I know your church. I know you know how to pray. Come on, why don't you shock the devil right now? Why don't you shock somebody looking at you right now and begin to pray and break forth in the prayer right now. In the name of Jesus, let's show, let's show the Lord, let's show the enemy that we will not just sit back and be casual in this season of our church, but we will dig in and pray and see the miraculous work of God over our families and our homes. In Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And we thank you for your spirit tonight that goes beyond walls. Thank you for your word tonight. I thank you, God, for this great church. Encourage us in Jesus' name and bless us right now. In Jesus' name, I thank you. God bless you. I thank Brother Gandhi. We love you all. We can't wait to see you soon into the future. I close tonight saying how much we love you, and we'll be in prayer for you in this city. In Jesus' name, and God bless you. Bishop Gandhi or Pastor Gandhi, I turn it back over to you. No, he's done. God bless you. Have prayer if you want to. Be encouraged, and we will see you later. God bless you all.